Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Listen, if you're a guest with us, we've been in a four-month series just talking about formation and how we're being formed in Christ, um, how we're being formed into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in community. Uh, and so we're taking the next, um, it's actually, we're wrapping up this week and next week, we're going to be talking about um, what it means to be formed in community. What is it that Jesus is accomplishing in community to form us into the image of Christ? There's something so unique that happens when people begin to devote and commit themselves to one another as the body of Christ, right? Uh, as the bride of Christ, and today as the temple of the Spirit or the temple of God. Uh, and so we've been kind of hashing that out over the last several months. Uh, and we just want to say, like, if you're a guest with us and you don't have a church home or this is where you're at today, uh, one of the big things that we are talking about is how when we commit to the people of God in the local church that this is the place where God often shapes and forms us as mature Christ followers. Are you with me? Uh, and one of the things that's against us in, in my generation and below is we pretty much tend to think that we can grow in Jesus all alone. That it's okay, it's really just about my individual discipleship to Jesus or my quiet time in the morning or that latest word that the Holy Spirit gave me. And we negate the very place that we are meant to be formed and shaped and grow, and that is in the body, it is in the community of God. So we've really been pushing back against independence and hyper-individualism and just preaching those things into the grave if we can. Um, Putting independence to death. You guys remember two weeks ago we talked about in the body. Um, how many of you felt like, oh, that word's for me? Like, I got to put my independence to death. Uh, and for some of us, I just need to put comparison to death. This idea that I come into the body like measuring myself against people rather than seeing that I'm meant to walk with this person and this person's strength strengthens me. Um, and, and simultaneously, we have to put superiority and inferiority to death. Oftentimes we come into the body of Christ and we start to measure our gifts against other people's and go, man, I'm looking pretty good. And we forget that we're called to be a body that is uh, meshed together, that is full of the spirit together. And so one of the key ways that you and I are being formed in the spirit is through community. I remember um, in college having this distinct impression that every single one of us thinks we're a spiritual superstar until we get roommates. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know how you think you're like spiritually awesome and then you start living with someone and you're like, oh, I hate this person <laughs> and I've got to, I have to figure out how to not do that. <laughs> I thought I loved Jesus a lot and then I start hanging around this person and I want to kill them and God, that can't be right. Something's wrong in my heart. Yeah, relationships are where our spirituality is tested and shaped. There is a challenge to living out what we say we believe with imperfect people. Yeah. But in Christ, those same imperfect people become the stone against which the edge of our life is sharpened so that we look more like Jesus. He uses those imperfect people that are driving you crazy. So look to your left and right and say, thank you. (laughs) You are shaping me into the image of Jesus with all your imperfections and all of your weird ideas. Yep. Today, I want to talk to you about one final prophetic metaphor that God uses to describe who we are as a church. I want to talk to you about the temple of God. 
And my prayer is that when we begin to see this, that it's going to reorient our hearts and our minds about what God is calling us into in community and how we can really pursue being the temple of God together. It's going to be fun. You guys ready? All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. We're going to read to verse 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Father, I just pray in the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts and that you would shape the way that we see ourselves and the world around us because of who you were calling us to be. Father, your word is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates to divide my soul and my spirit, my joints and my marrow. You judge the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. And I pray this morning, God, that as we lift up your word, as we elevate the nature of your word in our lives, that we would stand before the mirror and we would see ourselves clearly. And God, we ask you to come by your grace and your mercy, and that even as we see the places where we are falling short, that you would heal us, you would free us, you would cleanse us, you would invite us into the magnitude of who you've called us to be, the temple of God. Teach us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I remember the first time I walked into a Roman cathedral. How many of you have been in a Roman cathedral before? Like one of those big, ancient, epic buildings. It was 2002. I was in Madrid, Spain, where my brother was living at the time. And I remember we walked into this beautiful place. I mean, incredible, epic. You walk in and there are spires that are extending into the clouds. There is granite wall that extends 100 feet over your head in any direction. You, you spin around and there are giant statues of the 12 apostles and biblical stories and frescoes of flowers and almond trees. It transports you into the Garden of Eden. And you're standing there surrounded with 24 elders and four living creatures on the floor around you. And there in the middle, in every place I ever stood, was the crucifix and Jesus suspended. And it's in places like that that you are slowed and you are forced to reflect because you find yourself in something that feels like an alien encounter. This thing is altogether different than any other space that you've ever been. You're enveloped in the reality of heaven. The language around the temple in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 isn't new language for the early readers of Paul and Peter and all of the apostolic letters. Uh, They were speaking mostly to Jewish readers who felt the weight and the significance of comparing anything to the temple. If you're not Jewish, you can't quite understand the magnitude of what it is that Paul is saying. That the temple was at the center of everything for them as a Jew. It wasn't like a common space or even a modern church building. It was the singular place of God's manifest presence and his glory. The temple was the center of Jewish life and worship and commerce Everything revolved around the temple because God lived in the temple. It was his place on earth. It was the singular spot where you could go and meet with him. Listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 12 says. This is God teaching the nation of Israel what the difference is between where they should worship foreign gods and where they should come to worship him. 
Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1. These are the decrees and the laws that you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place that the Lord your God will choose from among all the tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give in your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. God is painting a picture for the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 12. He is saying that how you are to worship as my people is altogether different from all the other peoples on the face of the earth. It it is completely separate. Those peoples in those days would go up to hills and they would set up idols for idol worship. And they would worship all sorts of other gods and divine beings. But God says, don't do that. I actually want you to come to this one place that I'm going to choose among one nation and in one tribe, and I'm going to cause my name to dwell there. The temple was where people went to meet with God. It was a place of atonement in the same way that you and I can turn to God for forgiveness of sins anywhere. They had to go to a specific building in a specific town with a specific protocol to be forgiven. It was a place of prayer and worship. And I don't want you to miss this key line in verse 4. That the temple was the place the Lord your God will choose to put his name for his dwelling. Listen to that. Now, God's not talking about like inscribing this plaque and like slamming it up on the wall of the temple, right? He's not putting like a plaque with his name on it. His name was his reputation and his character and who he was. He says, I am choosing this place out of all the earth and I'm going to put my name there. And so friends, the temple is actually the picture of Eden. Everything that was lost in Genesis, God reconnects to us over and again through the scriptures that he calls a people for himself, Israel, which is supposed to be the walking and talking kingdom of God. And he puts his name in a place. This is Eden. It's the kingdom of God. And ultimately, he puts his name on Jesus, who is the walking, talking kingdom of God, Eden itself. Right. And the progression is that he is actually calling you and I now to become that which he is doing then. The temple's the picture of Eden. It was the heaven on earth place. It's where God came to live among his people. But in this wild shift um, in the scriptures, like if you're reading the Old Testament and you get to this moment in 1 Corinthians 3, your mind is blown. You're not thinking about this. They are painting a picture that is so radical for us. And I hope that we could get it this morning, even though we're not, we're not Jewish in nature, that we can understand the magnitude of what God's inviting us into individually and collectively to be the temple of God. You and I are being called as carriers of God's name. All the New Testament authors agree that what God did in the temple and in the nation of Israel and in Christ, he now is doing in you and me collectively to be the new temple where he has caused his name to dwell, his character, 
his presence, his power, his reputation. These aren't things that we should take for granted. This is an incredible gift of God that he looks on my life, Daniel, the same way he looks at yours. And because of Christ, he now says, you are a habitable dwelling. You are the place where I want to come and put my name and my spirit and my character. It's not just in a building over there. It's not just in a person back then. It's in you and me individually and collectively. God comes to live. And he causes us to be carriers of his name. You are meant to be the hyperlink to his presence. The people can bump into you and they say, man, I don't know. I just something's different. I just feel I encounter the presence and the spirit of God. I can go through life demonized and face situation after situation after situation of brokenness. But when I'm around Rachel, suddenly I experience the grace of Jesus. What is that? What a gift is that, that God would come so close that he rubs off his character and his kindness on me. And that is what people experience. Look back at the language in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. Right? God's temple is sacred and you're that temple together. What a picture. What a beautiful image for us. And so I want to ask the question this morning, what does it mean to be God's temple? We're just going to take those three things that we just mentioned and we want to walk through them. Firstly, that God's spirit dwells in your midst or in you. What does it mean to be the temple of God? It means that God's spirit has come to dwell in you. In the same way that God dwelled in the temple in the past, excuse me, today God's spirit dwells in you and me and us. This is what... um, the, the, the leader of the Bible Project, any of you familiar with that? Tim Mackey, he calls this the good and dangerous presence of God. The good and dangerous presence of God. It's good because God is good, yes? How many of you remember when you met God and Jesus started to wash and to change your life? He started to reshape and reform. He freed you from things that oppressed you in the past. He cleansed you from sin that you were carrying around like a mark on your bodies and your minds. It's good because God's good. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see when God's people are in right relationship with him, that God is among them. And what happens? He blesses them. He prospers them. He fights for them and leads them into what's good. He speaks promises over their life, and then he fulfills those promises by his own character and strength. And he uses them to bless other people. He teaches them how to live abundantly. How many of you know that's what God is still doing? Yeah, we start to live our lives with him and he teaches us how to live in his abundance and how to trust him and how to continue to walk with him even in good times and in bad. God's presence is good. What you experience on a Sunday morning when we are worshiping together, the presence of God is good. That God would come near to me and he hasn't killed me yet. It's good. (laughs) The God who is holy, he's just he's still with me. God's presence is good. And guys, this has been God's desire all along to restore this closeness and intimacy with us. To move back into the neighborhood of your life like when he walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. And by his spirit, he does that. So I want to show you this progression because here's the thing that I want you to get. God is addicted to being near to his people. He, are you with me? Is everybody okay? All right. It's like vacant, hollow stares coming back at me. God is committed 
he is radically devoted to. He is addicted. That's a strong word. He is addicted to being with you. Are you with me? That's why there is so much spiritual attack to keep you away from him. It is the contrary to God's purpose and his plan for you to be near him. That's why sometimes it feels like we have to fight through hell to get to him on a Sunday morning. Like we have to fight through hell to see who he is and what he says because everything is against you actually being with him. That is what he desires most. And so look at this progression with me. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 11, he says, I'm going to put my dwelling place among you. This is after sin. This is after the fall, right? He actually promises, I'm going to put my dwelling place among you, Israel, and I will not abhor you or despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is that bridal language like we were talking about last week. You're going to be mine. This is the kind of thing that I feel in my heart from my wife, Chrissy, right? She's mine and I'm hers. It's possessive and belonging. God's saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. And look at this. It says, we belong to God and his spirit dwells among us, right? And and so God went to great lengths to instruct the nation of Israel on how to build our tabernacle, a tent where his spirit would dwell. You with me? And so if you haven't like jumped into the book of Leviticus, everybody's favorite book in the room, maybe you haven't read this lately, but you're missing it if you haven't, because God's whole purpose is I want to come close. I want to come close. You're sinful and broken. You're still struggling with idol worship. You got bad attitudes. A lot of you are doing your own thing. I want to come close to you. I want to heal you. I want to teach you what it means to be a people after my own heart. But then look in John chapter one, God's next upgrade. We see that God comes to us in Christ. It says the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. You hear the same language? He made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Do you see the proximity change? Not just in a tent up the road, but now I am in the flesh as my son. God's coming closer and closer. And then we get to this crescendo in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and what does he say? You are the temple, and God's Spirit has come to dwell in you. I want to dwell among my people in a tent. I'm going to dwell among my people in a body. I'm going to dwell among you in your body. You feel it? Is everybody with me? Closer and closer and closer. What does God desire more than anything? Proximity to you. He's moving in. He longs to be near you. He doesn't want to settle for anything less. God's heart for you demands a closeness to you that goes to the cellular and spiritual level. He's not satisfied at a distance. He's not a taskmaster just to give you rules on the outside, but leave you powerless to do anything on the inside. He is the God that comes to live in us and empowers us to do what is impossible apart from him. Are you with me? He, he wants you. He comes near to you. The Spirit dwells in your midst. What a good God that he has somehow made a way that even with my frailty and my failures, that God comes so near to me that he transforms me from the inside. And he's so gentle that he doesn't destroy me in the process. Are you with me? I I can't overemphasize this enough. 
we'll talk about this more in a moment, but the God who is holy and set apart in all his ways has come to live in you and to reform you from the inside out without killing you. Every example of people coming that close to God in the Old Testament who had sin died on the spot. You with me? You ever read those stories that are really confusing, like the Ark of the Covenant is about to tip off of a cart, and this guy reaches up because he seemingly loves God and doesn't want that to happen. He touches the Ark of the Covenant, and God kills him. Why? Because his holiness. He can't, he can't come sinfully or irreverently into God's presence and not die. And somehow, Stephanie, the Holy Spirit moves inside of us, and he makes up his home in us by faith with all of my faults and failures, he still comes near and he's so gentle and merciful that he still heals me. I feel like we should be kicking furniture over. You know what I mean? Like we need to be like starting bonfires and stuff. Burn the furniture. This is the best day ever. (laughs) Everything is different. Everything is different. So firstly, his spirit comes to dwell in us. Secondly, God's temple is holy. Is holy. God has put his presence inside us. Good news. But remember, it's no small thing to belong to God. Can you just take that in for a moment? The language that we use, that we are the sons and the daughters of God. That we belong to God, that he has purchased us, that I am his and he is mine. It's not a safe thing to invite the spirit of God to come and to live in you if you don't intend to change. Are you hearing me? It is not a safe thing. He is good, but it is also a dangerous activity to say, God, take my life and then go out on Monday and say, I'm going to live however I want. Really? You have just signed up for misery. To say, I belong to you, but I'm going to do it on my terms with the God of the universe. Friends, this should not happen. In Deuteronomy 4.23, Moses actually says, be careful. Like he's talking to millions of people. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Don't make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything. Anything that the Lord has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a... He's a jealous God, but he's also a consuming fire how do you approach God on Sunday morning (laughs) sometimes I come in and I'm like I haven't had quite enough coffee and I I can maybe be a little bit light on the reverence anybody else I'm just kind of like processing my week out and what I'm thinking and this is about my experience you're approaching consuming fire and somehow he has mercifully made it possible for you to exist in his presence, to be shaped by him. But do not be confused. In God's mercy, he is no less pure and holy. We're, we're coming before the God who is jealous for you and is like a consuming fire. God's presence is not like a Mr. Rogers presence. Yeah, he's good, but he's not that version of good, right? It's not just sweaters and kids. Uh, like... He's a consuming fire. Sometimes we treat Christianity like it's just something we do on the weekends, but to be a temple of God, to be a people of his presence, that demands that my life changes. That our very lives become a place of hosting his presence. That we become a house of prayer and worship. 
right? Not just this building. We talk about it all the time. Not just take the city and harvest house of prayer. That, that you, you actually become the house of prayer. That you become the place of the presence of God. That you are, are understanding your role as the temple of God in the earth. In our earlier language, that we become the place where heaven meets earth. That's God's vision for you in Christ. Not just that, like, I'm going to stay in this kind of guilt-shame cycle and struggle and fall and then come back on Sunday and wash, rinse, repeat. What a miserable way to do that. We've all been there. You've grown up in the southeast. Like, it's our jam. It's what we do. It's our MO. Let's just talk a lot about Jesus and then do whatever we want. But in our culture, what does it mean for us to be the place where heaven and earth meet? Individually and collectively. This is who we are. We are the temple of God. Friends, it's a dangerous business to live with a a consuming fire inside of you. You ever seen those guys who swallow fire? Doesn't it force you to ask some questions? Like, how many antacids did you take right before you did that? Did you coat your entire mouth and body in petroleum? Like, I, need, I have, have questions. I need more answers. It's a dangerous business to live with a consuming fire inside of you. In fact, Paul says something wild that for us may sound judgmental. He says, if any person corrupts or destroys the temple, that person God will corrupt and destroy. Does that cause anybody else question? Okay, when I read that, I'm like, oof. Lord, help me understand this one. What's he saying? He's saying you can't treat the temple of God like it's yours to do with whatever you please. Think about it. When when Casey put his faith in Christ, Jesus put his spirit in Casey and he said, you're my house now. So I don't have permission to do with this house whatever I want. It's not mine anymore. It was mine. I I made my own decisions. I made my own stupid decisions in the past. I chose whatever path I wanted because it was my house right? Some of you are seeing that right now with your house or your car. This is my car. I'll do whatever I want. It's kind of that that teenage disposition toward their parents. This is mine. I'll do whatever I want. But the Holy Spirit has come to live in that house. It's his dwelling place. His delight is there. I don't have permission to come rearrange the furniture anymore. He actually empowers me to come and to begin to see how he lives and loves and operates. He wants you to understand the magnitude that your body and your mind and your life and your vocation belong to him. Nothing gets in or leaves without his permission. And when it does, there's going to be a bit of a fight. It's his. Your life is his. Some of you are in utter misery this morning because you've been trying to still move the furniture around without talking to the Lord. I want to go here. I want to date that guy. I want to do whatever I can on the weekend. I'm going to get wasted. Okay. See how much fun that is. It's terrible. It is terrible to belong to the Lord and to try to do your own thing. It's terrible. What a miserable thing. It's like I'm going into his house and just trying to shuffle everything around without asking, right? God says we are holy, that we belong to him. Holy means that we're set apart for God's use. You are set apart for God's use. Richard, you're set apart for God's use. Andrew, you're God's. You're his tool in his hand to use as he pleases. If you read the end of Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus, they start talking about all of these different articles that they 
build and craft and set apart for God's use in the tabernacle to minister to him. And it says every single one of them, every one of them is anointed with a mixture of oil and blood and cleansed in that way so that they can be used. And in the same way, you and I as the church, we have been washed in the blood of Jesus and we have been anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit to be holy and set apart for his use. Your life is his. Your decisions are his. He uses your life as a resource in his hand and he loves you. So are you living holy? Am I living holy? Would you just stop and ask yourself that? Just close your eyes. Am I living holy? It's set apart. It's singular in focus. It's understanding that my life and my decisions and how I use money and how I think through things, that all of it flows through Jesus. None of it's just for me. Do you recognize that you're not your own, that you were purchased, and that you are the home of the Spirit? You can open your eyes. Friends, I'm afraid that we've undersold holiness in a desire to understand grace. Are you with me? Everybody all right? Thank you, Michael. We've undersold holiness in a desire to understand grace. I want to understand the magnitude of God coming to me. But we forget that God also demands holiness. It's, it's a command of his, right? Grace is the open invitation for everyone to come near to God and to receive mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God doesn't command you to get it all right before you come to him. That's legalism, right? He, he says, I have freely made the way through the person of Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's not by works. There's no boasting. I can't earn anything from God. It's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace, but hear me, grace is not an invitation for us to stay the way we came in. That's a head shaker. It's a good one. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, he says, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord, your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Do you see that? Do you see the partnership? Hey, you be, be consecrated and be holy. You make the decision to set yourself apart, but don't get it flipped. I'm the God who makes you holy. So it's partnership, but it's definitely not equal, right? Like I'm going to do everything I can to make decisions that are in keeping with what he's done in me, the grace that he has made available to me, but it is God who makes me holy. I love this tension. Because most of the time we tend to go either hyper-legalistic and think it's all of our works that make us saved through faith, or we flush it all and pretend our actions don't matter. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's really easy for us to go one way or the other and to forget that it is only by grace that we come in. There's, there's literally nothing I can do. But once I'm in, God has empowered me to make decisions to please him. His spirit actually is magnetically drawn to obedience. Right? Jesus says, if you love me, you will. What? <laughs> you will obey me. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, I hate this moment. Yeah. Fifth grade all over again, right? If you love me, you will obey me. 
I, I don't know how many times on Sunday morning I say, God, I love you, I love you. And what I hear, I go into internal processor mode, Josh. You're with me. I say I love you, and what I hear is, yes, but do you obey me? And I don't think it's always him, it's me. I'm like talking to him and myself, you know. Okay, I love you, but how much? I just love you enough to experience something sweet on Sunday morning? Or do I love you in a way that says yes on Tuesday? Do I love you enough that when nobody's looking, when it has nothing to do with fame or promotion or what somebody thinks about me, am I saying yes then? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So friends, what I'm saying to you as one of you is that holiness is not negotiable for us. Every great move of God, every great, some of you in here are like so devoted to being a revivalist. If you're devoted to being a revivalist, then you are devoted to holiness. Holiness is the marker for every great move of God. People who move toward the Lord in repentance. That's the only way you move toward the Lord, right? I see him clearly and I see myself clearly. I see who he is, so I'm going to see who I am. Repentance and a call to holiness. Consecration, being set apart for this one specific purpose. When we draw near to God, David shared this months ago, when we draw near to God, you guys know it, like I got saved and it felt warm and cushy at first. Everything was sweet. And then suddenly I realized all the impurities of my life started to float to the top the closer I got to him. Has this been anybody else's experience? Like it felt, it was nice. I felt God's embrace. And then I realized that in his holiness, as I approached the consuming fire, stuff started to burn out. And I didn't like it. <laughs> it hurt. Because I was still attached to some of those things. Anybody? Those relationships that just could not stay rooted. Those ways of living and acting and thinking that I just can't hold on to that and move closer to him. The purity of the consuming fire of God will scorch out all the things that can't stay if I'm going to be near to him. And so I, I come closer and he comes closer. And what happens? Another layer of junk is just getting burned out. That can't stay anymore. That racism that's in my heart or that sexism that's in my heart or the way that I cheat on my taxes and think is not a big deal. Or I'm not generous to the poor. Think about it. The places where I'm just not submitted to the people that God's given in authority over me at work and in my family, whatever the thing is. I want to build this system that is different, but the closer and closer I get to God, those impurities are being dealt with. And somehow, guys, committed community acts as a part of the furnace of God. The deeper I plunge into this, the more the impurities of my heart start to emerge, right? Submerge, come to the top, and I go, oof. I'm starting to experience um, brutality or dishonesty or whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're with people and suddenly like all your attitudes start coming to the top. God uses community as a part of his consuming presence. I come closer to you and the junk just floats out. Some of you are like, I hate going to church. I feel like a jerk there, you know, or I, my personality's not right for this. Whatever that means. The invitation is for us to come near because God even uses the temple as a place of reverent fear where we deal with the things that are hiding under the surface in our lives. 
It's a place where uh, we test the impurities, where those things come up and the Lord starts to deal with them and purify us and heal us. It's not for judgment. It's for healing. God brings you close to the fire to take out the stuff that can't stay. He wants the gold to shine. Right? He talks about a crucible all through Proverbs. He talks about removing the dross, the mess that's mixed into the pure and spotless metal. And he delights to take your life with all the impurity and to bring it closer and closer to the heat so that those impurities are burned out. So that what is left is glassy. It is pure. You can see right through it. There is nothing that's keeping you from him. Friends, holiness is purity. It's not crankiness and meanness, right? Like if you came out of like the holiness movement, sometimes we confuse holiness with just being mean. Like the tighter the bun, the more holy you were, you know? No wonder they were mad. Those buns were tight. Sorry. I'm just being stupid. But sometimes we confuse holiness with just being rigid and uptight. Guys, God is the most relaxed, Peaceful, joyful, loving, gracious being ever. When I come near to him who is holy, I don't get tight and rigid. He's addicted to my freedom. He loves me, right? The fruit of the Spirit. That's God's character. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What do I get when I come near to God? I feel that. I feel the weight of his character and his goodness. And in his holiness, man, he ain't mean. He's not ugly about being good. He's just completely good. Holiness means that there is no divide in my heart. Holiness means that there's no shadowed, hidden part of my life. God's bringing us into the light. right? Hebrews says that we will all stand before him. And everything will be laid bare before him to whom we must give account. Can can you follow the picture with me for a moment? All throughout the the prophetic books and into Revelation, they describe God as fire and light. Right? We get consuming fire here in Leviticus. All throughout the scriptures, fire and light. From the waist down, he's like burnished metal, like the brightest shining metal when it's pulled out of the fire. And from his waist up, he is pure light. And you can imagine this morning, if God is seated on the throne... And Callie, me and you are just kind of roaming up to the throne of God. What happens when you approach light? Everything gets highlighted, right? Like like everything. The closer I get to him, all the areas that I've been like hunching over and hoping he doesn't see, suddenly exposed by the purity of light. Holiness means that as I come close to him, his radiance exposes the place that I've been hiding and he doesn't, he doesn't do it to front me out in front of people. He does it to heal me. Are you with me? The greatest thing that stands against us becoming who he's called us to be is that we will stand at a distance and say, I'd rather keep the shadow. I want to keep that hidden place. Don't light it up, God. Don't, don't come near to that thing. And sometimes, for many of us, We are hiding sinful areas under woundedness because we are terrified of anybody accessing it. And God is saying, will you give that to me? Will you come close to me and trust me even with that part of your life? Holiness means there is no hidden part. 
I just come before him and I open myself up and say, I trust you. Perfect light that heals. So secondly, you are God's temple and God's temple is holy. Thirdly, we are the temple together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple of the Spirit. Listen to this. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. Peter echoes Paul's words perfectly, but he says the vision of being temples of God isn't just singular, that God is actually doing something in us together. He says that we are like living stones being built together as the temple of the Spirit. That you and me, that we are living stones, that when we uh, bring our lives together in community, when we devote ourselves to one another, we are actually a part of the building of God. That God is filling something for His glory. But He doesn't stop there. He says that we are doing this so that we can be a royal priesthood. Listen to that. So not only are we a place that God fills by his glory and his spirit, but we are also a people with divine, holy function. Not just a place where he dwells, but a people that he uses to walk out this holiness. Peter's building off of this image for the early church. He's saying, you remember how those priests, that group of guys in the temple who were selected from the Levites and they were set apart to God from among the nation. They were a special tribe. You remember how they served God and they offered him sacrifices? You remember how you had to go to them in order to get to God? He is saying you and I in the same way are divine representatives. We are living and breathing heavens on earth. We are little gardens of Eden where the spirit lives. You're like, I just want to do better and not smoke so much. (laughs) I'm just... I don't mean to demean that. That is, some of you are like really struggling there. And what he wants is for you to see a vision of who you are. Because if you see who you are, all the other things will come into clarity. There's something about being a dad. I don't know why this reminds me of that. When you're a dad, there's no switch, and you dads know what I'm talking about, where you suddenly become more responsible and are like the perfect protector and provider and all the things. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, it's an invitation. I see this little person who depends on me, and I am suddenly invited to become something that I wasn't. I remember having a dream for years. I, uh, I, I had this familiar sin struggle, and I remember after we had kids, Um, I was asleep one night, and the Lord gave me a dream, and in the dream, a friend of mine said, fatherhood will help you conquer sin. And I thought, huh, what does that mean? Because I still struggled. I I was still struggling with sin. I was trying to figure out, like, how do I overcome this thing? He gave me a picture that was more inspiring than the issue I was facing. He gave me an invitation to see who I was and not, or or who who I was going to be, (laughs) and not just who I was. And sometimes we will so lower our intention, we will just come to church to meet with God instead of recognizing that you are the church who is the meeting place of God. We will will come here and so lower our vision that we're just trying to overcome that next sin. And God says, I actually want to show you a bigger picture. This is 
This thing is not fragile and it's not weak. I'm inviting you into the magnitude of this, that you were called to be the meeting place of heaven and earth. You were called to be the place where God's spirit dwells. When you're in work or the grocery store or the gas station, that people encounter Alan and they experience Jesus. Are you with me? What an honor. The people come with sin in their lives and brokenness and they're expecting a condemning God and they find mercy in you. They come to the door of your life, and instead of judgment, they find mercy. They find Jesus. This is the vision and the image that he is drawing us into. It's our job as a priesthood to bring something pleasing to the Lord as an act of worship. Aren't you glad we don't have to sacrifice animals here on Sunday morning? It's like, hey, come to worship. Let's cut up a bunch of animals because this is going to please him. Right? Cammie, you wouldn't make it, would you? You'd just be out. Yeah. Guys, that was the motif. The priesthood brought a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord to bring fellowship. What does he ask of us? He, he still wants a sacrifice, but it's not that one. Look at what Romans 12:1 says. In view of God's mercy. Doesn't that capture it? Because of the mercy that I've experienced. Offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What kind of sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord? He wants you. He wants you. It was never the blood of bulls and goats. It was always you. Because of Jesus, he looks at you and he says, Sherry, what I want most is you as a living sacrifice, that daily you will put yourself on the altar and say, God, scorch away the flesh, Take away all the stuff that is just leading me to death. My life is yours. What does it mean for us to be a temple of the Spirit together? It means that collectively and individually, we put our lives back on the altar and say, God, for your glory, for worship, for your namesake, would you use our lives? Put myself back in that place where the only thing that remains is what is him. Everything else gets burned up. For many of us, we come to um, a message like this, and it feels terrifying. Because we're like, I got a lot of stuff to burn up. I don't think I'm going to live through this one. Friends, God is so gentle, and he's so merciful. And when we come, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us. If I'll just confess my sins. He's faithful. We prayed into that Wednesday night. He's faithful. He's steadfast. He never changes. He's faithful. And he's also just, which means he has righteous judgment. Judgment's not the gavel crushing you. Judgment is that God sees everything clearly, and he only does what is right. And in his righteousness, he has come to heal us, not to kill us. Yes? So you're going, I don't want to come near I'm pretty sure it'll kill me. And he says, trust me. Let me heal you. Let me heal that place. You think that it's just you doing it your own way. You're killing yourself. Come here. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Trust me. What does it look like for us to do this in community? With the God who commands us to be holy. I think firstly, it starts with recognizing that the Holy Spirit wants access in your life. 
For, for many of us, we have walked with the Spirit in different seasons, but I find in my own life that sometimes it's a bit of a roller coaster. Anybody else? It's like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in, but just to hear. And sometimes that's not me actually guarding anything. Sometimes it's just me being too busy. I just don't give him enough access. Time is access. I just give him space to operate in my life. The first thing that we do is we recognize that the Spirit wants access. So are we hosting God's presence well when we are together? Are you hosting his presence in your life? You're going to go home today. It's a quiet, overcast Sunday afternoon. You have an opportunity to host God in your home, to host him in your heart. Are you hosting his presence? Does the Spirit have access to your heart? And are we, on Sunday morning when people come here, what is the experience? Some of you are like, I'm a guest today. You're an owner now. Welcome. Are we creating the kind of environment that Jesus loves to be in? Would he come in and recline, or would he feel out of place? I've heard that statement in churches, the scariest thing is that if God's spirit were to lift and to never show up again, many of us would never know. What a terrifying notion. Are we the place where Jesus wants to come and kick up his heels and relax? Am I in that comfortable place in my life? Secondly, are we carrying God's name well? We, we talked about um, taking the Lord's name in vain. How many of you have heard that? And the way we translate that is don't say GD, right? Don't use that profane word. That's not what it means. Please don't say GD. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that's not what taking God's name in vain means. It means that we are carrying God's name in vanity just outwardly, but it has never really changed me. I'm taking his name in vain. To be called a carrier of the name, but to not carry the name is a real problem. Are you carrying his name well? When people slam into your life in the middle of the week, do they find Jesus? Or do they just find you? It's a good question. It's one we need to ask. And lastly, are we living holy? You know, one of the things that we can do, maybe the hugest takeaway of being God's temple is that we can't allow sin to manifest and to stay stewing up in our lives. That God's actually made a way for us to deal with that mess, Right? confess and repent. It's God's vehicle. He has made it for us to live at the foot of the cross. I don't have to live in condemnation. How many of you know if you carry sin around with you all the time, it just crushes you and it creates space for the enemy to whoop you in the dark by yourself. But when I fail, if my heart is to belong to him, I can confess my sins and I can repent of those things. I can turn around and do the opposite. And God is faithful to forgive me. So maybe today there's some things that are rising to the top as you move closer to his presence. And you're going to make the bold decision to confess those sins to a brother or sister in this room. One of the reasons that communities become such a vital part is that in smaller communities, you find some people who actually you trust. that You can actually see week to week and you, you can move past just spiritual activity to confession. What would it be like on a Wednesday night, Sherry, if we just said, hey, what do we need to put at Jesus' feet right now? The one-on-one, do you have somebody you're going to and saying, man, I messed up? 
I failed in that common way. Like, well, can you pray with me? And trust that God is washing you as you do that. Are you with me? I feel the air being sucked out of the room. We don't like confession and repentance. Right? It's terrifying to tell people the truth. One of the things that I think is missing in our church body is telling the truth. In this house, not in like broader church, Fountain City, we don't tell the truth about ourselves. We're scared to death of telling the truth. What if? What if God created the kind of community where you can pursue him and when you stumble, you know that there is a trustworthy tribe of people around you that you can confess your sins to and then you get to hear from somebody else's mouth what we know in our heart is going to be true. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You have come to the temple of God where the sacrifice once and for all has already been made. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. You're a new creation. No condemnation stands for those who are in Christ. That's a better picture, isn't it? Will you stand to your feet with me? Thank you, Father. I just want to create a place. If you would just want to respond to the, to the Lord's presence, uh, Josh, will you turn the house lights down? We want to give people just an opportunity to respond in prayer. It's 1243. You don't even have to look at your watch. I'll just tell you. Let's take the next five to seven minutes, okay? And would you just respond to the Lord? What is he saying to you? We are a temple of God, that his spirit dwells in our midst, that the temple is holy, and that we together are that temple. Father, we just come before you. Lord, we confess that we're committed to coming to church, but we often don't know what it means to be the temple of the Spirit. Lord, we don't understand holiness. Father, we hear your invitation to come near, that you're going to wash us and cleanse us and heal us as we come near to your throne. And so we respond. Lord, come and wash these temples. Wash my heart. Lord, I pray that our lives would be pleasing, comfortable places for you to come and dwell. These are your houses. They're not ours anymore. Why don't you just surrender in your own way? The Lord's just pointing out just areas of obedience, areas of stumbling that you just need to put before him and just say, God, I confess. Please forgive me. Forgive me. Come, dwell here again. We don't want to be houses that are empty of the Spirit. Jesus, come. Come, cleanse us, God. Cleanse us. Lord, help us to tell the truth. Help us to be honest about the places where we've walked away from you, Father. But you're calling us open arms. Just see it, just the mercy and grace of God to say, come, come home, come home, let me wash you. Don't try to wash yourself. You'll just muck it up. Come, let me do it. Let me cleanse you. When he washes you, it feels like grace and mercy. When you do it, it feels like you're skinning yourself. You're just shameful. It's condemnation. He says, come, let me wash you. He knows how to clean his house just right.
If that's you, you're just like, you know what? I want to just surrender my life back to Jesus. I'm not, I haven't been following him. I want to give him full reign over my life. If that's you, would you just either put a hand up or come and just be with him down here? We don't want to shame anybody. We just want to create space for you to meet with him. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Any others? Thank you, Lord. Come, take my life. I'm a temple. Father, I pray even now, God, that you would make us holy. I encourage you, if you're so bold, to just pray that prayer. Make me holy. Make me holy. Make me holy. Jesus, this is all about you. You are the temple. (laughs) You make us holy by your blood that was shed. We can't be cleansed or healed any other way. It's only by you, Lord. Mm. I thank you. The place where we would once be afraid of condemnation to go, he says, you can approach boldly with confidence because of Christ. Come boldly before the throne. Come boldly before the throne and find mercy. Mercy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on. Say, God, make my heart pure again. That's you. Would you just come? Just rest with him. He just wants to wash us. He does it so gently and so kindly. I just feel a real presence like the, the Lord. There, there are some who are standing and you're just at a moment of decision. Am I going to walk toward him or am I going to walk away? Choose life. Choose life today. Choose life. The Lord's arms are open to you. He says, come. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come. Are we living holy? you just lift hands to him to say, Lord, come and fill this temple again today. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Fill us. I thank you, Lord, that you drive out everything that doesn't belong to you and you take up residence. Father, we just agree together, Lord, over these houses under this roof 
Lord, that the presence of the Spirit drives out all that doesn't belong. All that doesn't belong. We agree right now. Every demonic presence that has come against your people and taken up residence, we just say, leave in the name of Jesus. Don't come back. In the name of Jesus, go. You have no authority. You have no authority. We plead the blood of Jesus over every life in this room. Every defiling spirit, every defiling activity, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we say go. We agree. We agree. We are the temple of the Spirit. Father, I ask you today that you would come near and that you would uncover the hidden places in us so that we can be healed and free us. In the name of Jesus, freedom. Freedom for your people. Freedom. Father, we devote ourselves to you and to one another today. Would you teach us what it means to be built as your temple? Help us to see how consequential community is for one another. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. You are welcome here. You are welcome. I want to close with just a blessing. Feel free to stay and to pray, uh, to meet with the Lord, or I want to invite you to do that. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May He turn His countenance to you and give you peace. I pray that everywhere you go today, you will be marked by the presence and the power and the provision of King Jesus. That you will see Him face to face. Like Moses who said, show me your glory that God's goodness will be revealed to you in everything you say and do, and that your life will never be the same. That when people bump into you, that they will feel the goodness of the kingdom of God, that they will step into the place where heaven meets earth, that they will feel the sweetness of Jesus on your life, and they will be changed, and that you will learn to lay your lives down for one another, just as Christ did for us. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Feel free to stay and pray. Uh, we really want to go after just being with the Lord. That's the path to holiness. Amen. See you later.